0: Turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. I don't think I've ever finished out a sermon series before where so many people have said this is the last in the series. So I just want to, spoiler alert, you do still have to obey next week, okay? If you were thinking, oh, it's the end of the obedience series, thank goodness, I don't have to, yeah, sorry. Um, But we are going to finish out the book of Haggai today. So I'm going to read to you from Haggai chapter 2, it's a very short book. Starting in verse 20, this is a really unusual prophecy because it's given to an individual. It's not given to the nation. Everything we've read so far has been given to the people, to everyone. This is just given to one guy, the governor. Uh, His name is Zerubbabel or Zerubbabel or Zerubbabel. We had a little bet going in staff meeting how many different ways I could say it during the sermon. So we'll see what I can get up to. So read along with me. Haggai chapter 2 starting in verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shaltiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you declares the Lord Almighty. You've heard Zerubbabel's name throughout this whole series, because again, he's the governor, so he's important. He shows up over and over again. I've got to tell you a little about him to really understand what God's saying to him here. Um, He's in the line of David. He's in the line of the kings. His grandfather was the king that was deposed by Nebuchadnezzar when Nebuchadnezzar took over Jerusalem and made it part of his empire. So had that not happened, Zerubbabel would be king of Judah. He's not king of Judah. He's governor of Judea. Uh, Judea is a province, is a territory inside the province of the Trans-Euphrates, which is one of the provinces of the Persian Empire. He's, it's like being in charge of a county. He's not the king. He's a county commissioner because of what his grandfather did. I want to read you a couple stories. This is from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was preaching during the time of Zerubbabel's grandfather and great grandfather. His great grandfather was a guy named Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim had arrested Jeremiah because Jeremiah was saying things that the king didn't like. So he's under house arrest So Jeremiah can't go out and preach like he normally does. So instead, he writes down his prophecies. Now, that's really good for us because they become the book of Jeremiah. We have his prophecies because they all got written down by his scribe, a guy named Baruch. So his scribe takes the prophecies on a scroll, and he goes and reads them in the temple. He goes and reads them at church, basically, one day. As everybody's coming in, imagine there's a guy standing out in the front, and he's reading these prophecies, thus says the Lord. And the king's officials hear about it and they're like, oh my gosh, we got to tell the king. Listen to what happens. The king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, that's the scroll that Jeremiah had written, and Jehudi brought it back from the room of Elishamah, the secretary, and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. So he's reading parts of the book of Jeremiah to the king. It was the ninth month and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. Whenever Jehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them in the fire pot, until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they ever tear their clothes, even though El Nathan, Deliah, and Gemariah. Anybody feel like you're in a Marvel movie when you read Old Testament names? Thor and the Hulk face down, El-Nathan and Gemariah. Even though they urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Instead, the king commanded Jeremiah Heel, the son of the king, and a bunch of other guys, to arrest Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord had hidden them. This guy takes Jeremiah's prophecies. It's, it's all about what's going to happen and as it's red, you know, he just tears it out and burns it tears it out and burns it. That's Zerubbabel's great-grandfather. He, does, he rebels against the king uh, of, of the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar. He dies. The king comes. They're besieging the city. He dies. We don't know whether it's in battle or sickness or whatever. His son, Jehoiachim, so he was Jehoiakim. this is Jehoiachim, takes over. Let me read you a story about him from the book of Jeremiah. He also had issues. This is what God says to Jehoiachim, this is, Jer- this is Zerubbabel's grandfather, the last king. Surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. I will deliver you into the hands of those who want to kill you, those you fear, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon and the Babylonians. I will hurl you, you and the mother who gave you birth into another country where neither of you was born, and you will both die there. You will never come back to the land you long to return to. Did you hear what God said? Even if you were a signet ring, even if you were my signet ring, a signet ring's a big deal in their world. It's one of the regalia of the king, and I'm sure you've seen the old movies, right, where they they sign some document and they put a little wax on it, and then the king will stamp it. Or he'll roll it up and put wax to seal it and put his stamp on it. That's what they did, only they would use clay. That's how you knew it was from the king. It it had his signet ring, his seal on the wax, or, or in their case, on the clay. When Pharaoh appoints Joseph back in Genesis, appoints Joseph, he says to Joseph, you will be in charge of all Egypt. It says he takes his signet ring off and hands it to Joseph. That's how Joseph is going to make all the rules and all the laws. He's got the ring. It's part of being a king. If you watch the coronation of King Charles, you know, kings don't just have crowns. They have robes and they have swords and they have maces and they have all sorts of stuff. A signet ring for a king, that's part of his authority. And God told Zerubbabel's grandfather that even if, you, even if you were my signet ring, even if you were that precious, that important to me, I would still pull you off and throw you away. That is how bad you have become. Now imagine if this were your family history. Anybody know anything about their great-grandfather? You know Anything about one of your, yeah, a couple people, right? I know one thing about one great-grandfather. He was the first Norwegian to sail around the world. That's it. That's the sum total of everything I know about any of that generation in my family. And I don't know a lot more, honestly, about about my grandfathers. They both died when I was quite young. Imagine if this were your family story. This is what you know about your family. Your great-grandfather was the guy who, when they were reading the Bible, would rip the page out and burn it as they went along. Your grandfather was the guy that God said, even if you were my signet ring, even if you were the most important of all my royal regalia, I would throw you out of my sight. And God takes that story when he talks to Zerubbabel, that story about a signet ring, that, that, that part of his family lore and history, and he turns it completely around. He says to Zerubbabel, no matter what happens, I am going to keep you right here. I am going to hang on to you. You are never going to leave my gasp. Things are are going to get bad, he says. There's going to be terrible things that happen in the coming days. But I will never let go of you. I think of you like a king thinks of his signet ring. Now, why is God saying that to Zerubbabel? 'cause he's so awesome, right? Cuz his life just goes from strength to strength. Everything he does has been good. God told him to go build the temple, and there's the temple, right? No. God told him to build the temple 17 years ago. It's not done. Remember they started building and then they go, there was opposition and people were bribing government officials and they quit and they just stayed. They just stopped. And they never started back up again. For the last 17 years, he has not obeyed God. But God has come to him again, and he started obeying. And now, God is coming to him. Remember all the prophecies we've read in Haggai, where he's encouraging the people. They're seeing things, they're getting discouraged, stuff's going on, the government's coming to him and questioning him, and God is encouraging them all throughout that Zerubbabel has not obeyed for the last 17 years. He hasn't done his right. He's the governor. That's his job. He's the guy who's supposed to be motivating the people. He's the guy who's supposed to be doing these things. He hasn't been doing it. And this prophecy is in the fourth month of the year. He just started a few months ago, but he's obeyed. And God is meeting him there. I want to read you another prophecy to Zerubbabel. Flip over. Just a couple pages later. It's Zechariah 4. This is the very next book in the Old Testament. Zechariah 4. This takes place in the 11th month. So we're several months later, but we're still, it's going to take four years to build the temple. We are still in the first half a year of that. Listen to what God says to Zerubbabel. Chapter 4, starting in verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. You ever heard that before? Now you know where it's from. It was given to Zerubbabel. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone. That's the last piece of the temple. The very final piece you'll put in the temple. To shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things, since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel? Some of those things should sound familiar to, to you when he talks about the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation. 17 years ago, and then nothing since then, just stopped. Do not despise the day of small things. Remember, we read that. When they start building the foundation of the temple and they realize, oh my gosh, this is nothing compared to the old one. Solomon used thousands upon thousands of pounds of gold to build the old temple, and they're going to use a hundred Solomon sacrificed 100,000 sheep and 20,000 cattle, and they sacrifice 100 sheep and 12 bulls. Remember, they, they look at what they're building and they realize, oh my gosh, this is so tiny. This is so minuscule compared to what Solomon did. And again, God encourages him. And remember the very first thing God says to Zerubbabel in this prophecy. Not by might, not by power, by my spirit. And then he goes on to list all the might and power that Zerubbabel's gonna do. He's gonna have to level out the ground to do this. He's gonna build the temple. He's gonna have to put the capstone. Like both those things are true. God's spirit is at work in Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel has to work. And you know, as Christians, we live in that weird tension between it's not us, it's God. And yet it's gotta be us, we're the ones that have to do it. You know, this week, when I made my weekly payment to the mortgage, from you all's generosity, thank you, um, our mortgage now is $260,000. Three years ago, it was $2 million. In the last three years, in a global pandemic, when churches are closing left and right, when they're taking out loans, when they can't pay their bills, we paid all our bills, And paid off one and three quarter million dollars on that loan. Yes. And we say, amen, praise God, because we know that's God. That couldn't have happened normally. That's God, not might, not power, the spirit of God. And yet I know every single one of those dollars you gave, Because I'm the the guy that makes the transfer each week from the general fund to pay off the mortgage. The mortgage never just went down miraculously. I never logged in one day and it said $1.2 million. And then I went back the next day and it said $1 million. I'm like, oh my gosh, $0.2 million just appeared in our account. I have transferred every single dollar that paid that mortgage off. And every single one of those dollars came from you. It's not might, it's not power. It's the spirit of God. And yet you had to give it. You had to give the money to do what God is gonna do. And God is is in there and he's behind that. Have you noticed, as we've told these stories over the past week, the back and forth between God and man. God tells them, move back to Jerusalem and rebuild my temple. And it says God stirred them up. And then they move. They pack up, they walk for months. They go to a whole nother part of the world. They obey, and that means they have to do it. They do the hard work, they get there, and it says God stirred them up. Again, God at work in them, God's spirit, to start building, and they start building. They do it. They they work. It's not by might, it's by God's spirit. And then when they get there, they've got to work. But they stop, they quit. They quit. We don't know exactly why we know there's opposition and other things going on. But for 15, 17 years, it just sits there. And then God sends a prophet to stir them up again. And then they start to work. They start to stack up the bricks. They start to cut down the trees. And then God sends a prophet to encourage them when they're discouraged. It's, it's this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Between God and man and God and man and God and man. Over and over again, we've seen that pattern. and We see it with Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel didn't obey yesterday, but he's obeying today. And God's telling him, because he's obeying, you are going to finish this. You started it, and you're going to finish it. You are going to put the last stone. I know it looks small. Again, remember that prophecy from Haggai oh my gosh, what God is going to do in that temple is going to make what happened in Solomon's temple seem completely insignificant. God God is encouraging Zerubbabel because he's obeying today. He didn't obey for years, years, and years, and years, but he's obeying today, and God sees it. He sees his obedience, and he comes, and he meets him in his obedience. And He sends two different prophets, they're both prophesying in Jerusalem, to give him a specific prophecy of encouragement. You will finish this. I know that looks like a mountain in front of you. I know you think there is no way you are getting over that mountain. Oh, you watch. I'm going to level that mountain. You are going to finish this you're going to do it I know it seems small but oh do not despise that wait and you see what I've done and when things get rough I will never let go of you God sends a prophet he is obeying and God is speaking to him and encouraging him even though he didn't obey for over 15 years even though he does not come from a family that is known for obedience. Again, I don't know what your family's like, but is there anybody in it that routinely rips out pages in the Bible and burns them up when he hears them spoken? His children are like the, his family, excuse me, they're like poster children for not obeying God. His family history is terrible, and frankly, his history's not that great either. But he's obeying today, and God sees it and God responds, and God acts. So the question I've asked you every week, and it's the question I'm gonna ask you again, and since this is, as we said, the last week, we're gonna sit here for a minute. What? Where do you need to obey? Like, What does it look like for you to obey? Even if you didn't obey yesterday, that's okay. Neither did Zerubbabel. You can obey today, and God will meet you in that. Maybe you haven't obeyed for the last 20 years. That's okay. Neither did Zerubbabel. But God can meet you when you obey today. Where do you need to obey today? Maybe you don't have a decent family that taught you these things. Maybe you don't have a history of faith. You don't look back at your parents and grandparents and like, oh yeah, these people were great examples. Maybe they were terrible examples and they taught you terrible examples that's okay. Same for Zerubbabel. He doesn't look back at his grandfather and great-grandfather. Like, these are not good guys. These are not guys you want to emulate. You can obey today. Whether you obeyed yesterday or not, you can obey today. Where do you need to remind yourself of this tension that it's God who is at work by his spirit? And then you got to get out there and do it. It's hard work. There are occasionally times when God says to people, You know what? You just hang out there. I'll take care of it. That happens to one observable's great, 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 great grandfather, um, a guy named Jehoshaphat. He's attacked and he prays and he's like, Lord, what should I do? And he says, You know, I got this one. Don't worry about it. You don't even need to call out the army. Yeah, right? and God goes out and messes with them and they all fight each other and leave. Occasionally that happens. But usually it's, hey, go build the temple. And that means you got to stack brick on top of brick. you got to cut down trees. you got to hew logs. you got to nail things in place. In Israel, in the summer, in the heat, this is backbreaking work. And God says this. This is what you need to do. Where do you need to remember that it's God at work? And where do you need to remember that you need to work? Because brothers and sisters, the the faith, the history of the faith is littered with people who who didn't remember those two things. There are so many, turn on Netflix, there's a new documentary every couple weeks, about someone who makes some great ministry, some incredible organization. It looks fabulous. And then something comes to light something comes out and it collapses because God's spirit wasn't in it. It was might and power. It was someone who's very charismatic and very powerful and very impressive and really good at organization. It's someone who took all of these great gifts and they did something that looked like it was from God. And then something comes out later and it just collapses because God's spirit wasn't in them. That was just them doing it. And then you see the same thing happen on the other side, although admittedly, because of what it is, it's so much smaller scale. But I hear this. People will come to me. None of you people, of course. Present company excluded. People will come to me, right? They'll say, oh, Jeff, the Lord gave me a message. I need to tell it. I need to preach it to the people. Or the Lord gave me a song. We need to sing it. Amen. Like, great. Let me hear the song. Let me hear the message. And and you listen. You listen to the song. You listen to the message like, wow, that has a lot of potential. I totally get why why God gave that to you. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about how to improve it. Let's talk about how to make it singable. You want, you want to sing it. You want the congregation to sing it. Let's talk about how to make it singable by a group of people rather than one person. Let's talk about the message, how to communicate it, how to say it. The Lord gave me the message. I, I, I can't talk with you about it. I just have to do it. Do you see? That's all spirit. The spirit told me this. There's no work on my part involved. Yes, yes, there is. If the Lord gave you something to do, there will be work involved. Did the Lord tell you how fast or how slow to say it? Did the Lord tell you which languages he wanted it translated into? Did the Lord tell you whether he wanted you to stand up here, down there, back there? Right? Yes, in music, in speaking, in all these things, there is work to be done. Folks, I believe to the core of my being, that I am telling you what God wants you to hear. If this is a TED Talk, we are at the wrong DCC. Dunwoody Country Club is right up the road. The food's better. The seats are more comfortable. There's way more amenities. Right? If I'm just telling you a bunch of stuff that sprang into my mind, we are all wasting our time. I believe that God wants me to stand up here, read from the scriptures, and tell you these things. But wow, I don't just stand up here, read from the scriptures, and tell you these things. I spend hours and hours researching, working, writing, moving things around. I spent, I have, again, for you, this is the first time you've heard this sermon. For me, it's the sixth or the seventh, because I've been practicing it since seven this morning, right? What works? What sounds right? You know those spontaneous jokes? I mean, they don't just come out spontaneously, you know, right? Sincerity is the key to life. So once you can fake that, you have got it made, right? It's a craft. It's God's spirit. This is God's word. I believe this is what he wants me to say to you. And so I have to work at it. God tells the Zerubbabel, you need to build the temple. You're the governor. You need to lead this. Zerubbabel does not walk out there and go, use the force, Z. And bricks just pick themselves up and stack on top of each other. He's got to go out there and work. It, you hear what he said? The capstone's in the hand of Zerubbabel. He's got to climb up there and put it on. It's work. It is God's Spirit. It is not might, it is not power, it is God's Spirit. And wow, then you got to get out there and do the hard work of obedience, of doing what God has called you to do. And that is a hard tension to live in. I get it. Have you ever taken a lesson in something like painting where the teacher is trying to explain some technique to you? And so you'll hold the brush. And they'll come up behind you and they'll put their hand over your hand. That's weird. <laughs> because you can't, and they'll say, oh, relax your hand. You're like, and what happens? The, the brush drops out, of course. You relax your hand. You've got to hold the brush. You've got to maintain the pressure. You can't just let it go. And as soon as they move, the brush flops off. You've got to maintain, it takes effort on your part, but you can't fight them. If you fight them, then they're like, loosen your arm. It's weird. It's weird that God's spirit is the one doing this, but he's doing it through us. Which means, like the mortgage, which means that when God tells you, hey, I'm going to pay off this mortgage. That's the next thing I'm doing in this church. You need to help. You need to give this money. Then you've got to write the check. Or you've gotta go online. You don't sit down at your computer and all of a sudden everything starts popping up and it transfers and you just sit there and think, wow, this is amazing, look at God go. Again, it does occasionally happen like that, in which case obedience is like Jehoshaphat, sitting there and watch God do it. But usually it's work. It's God's spirit at work and us working. Where do you need to obey? Where has God called you? to something and it's hard (laughs) and you got to do it and 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 you can't fall into either of those traps you can't fall into the trap of well you know god said he's going to pay off the mortgage so great let's just sit down here and somebody check the bank balance any moment now it should go to zero and also it's not okay this is how we're going to do it this is what we're going to do we're going to make this happen we're going to make this happen then they're going to do this and this and this and this where do you need to obey? All these weeks, I've been asking you that question. It has for me, I'm sure it has for you. Things have percolated. God's spirit has been at work. What's God calling you to? It's okay if you didn't obey yesterday. It's okay if you didn't obey last year. You can obey today. Where do you need to do that? Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Right in front of you, unless you're in the front row, in which case it's in the seat back behind you, right? There's a little green card that says decision. I want you to pull that out. It says, I have decided to. I want you to write yourself a little note right there. What have you decided? Where do you need to obey? What do you need to do? Where has God's spirit? He's doing something. Again, this is not what do I want have happen? What am I going to make happen? Where is God's spirit at work? And now, you need to get to work. I want you to take that out. I want you to write yourself a little note. Hey, this is for you, okay? this isn't, We're not going to collect these and post them up on a board or anything. This is for you. Where is God calling you to obey? I have decided to. You can write, you can write obey, obey right after that if you want. Somewhere, like, this is for you. Put it up somewhere, have it in your car, hide it in your jacket. I don't know. What works for you? Where do you need to obey? Okay, and now I will make you a deal. Okay? This is for you. If you want to pull another card out and write down, it says their prayer requests, and you want to write a prayer request, we will pray for you. Okay, staff gets together every morning and prays. Right? I, I, I pray in my office. I've got a whole whiteboard of prayer requests. If you want, you don't have to. It's totally up to you. If you want to write a prayer request, heck, write it. Drop it in those black boxes, they're on either side of the door as you leave. If you forget that, there's one at both the exit doors as you're leaving the building. The big black box as an offering box. Drop it in that hole. We will pick those up tomorrow morning. We'll, we'll pray for you. We will pray that God will enable you, that God's spirit will be at work, that he'll do just what these different prophecies have talked about. God will stir you up. God will provide what you need. God will direct you. Remember what he said when he called them? He said, hey, go into the hills get wood, bring it back. They don't need rocks. There's rubble everywhere. They got plenty of rocks to build with, but they do need wood. God tells them what to do. They go and they do it. God comes back to them. When they're discouraged, God meets them. Write for yourself a note where you need to obey what the Lord is calling you to do. That you, and Folks, this could be massive, right? And this could be seemingly massive. Humanly, so tiny. Remember, Solomon's temple, incredible. Zerubbabel's temple, not so much. Where does salvation take place? When Jesus dies and the curtain the veil's torn into and there's never again anything between God and man, that's that little temple that Zerubbabel oversaw. It's not the monstrous, huge, glorious thing of gold and jewels that Solomon oversaw. That was destroyed. It's gone. We don't even ultimately know what it looked like because we just have some descriptions in the scriptures. It could seem huge. It could seem trivial. That is for the Lord to decide. Where do you need to obey? Write yourself a note. And if you wish, again, no, no guilt and no pressure, if you want us to pray for you, Then write another one and drop it in the boxes on your way out. And we will absolutely pray for you that you'll obey. Now, pray with me as we close this part of our service out. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are kind. I mean, here's this guy who didn't obey you for years and years and years. He's the governor and he's not doing what you've told him to do. He's not overseeing what he's supposed to be overseeing. And you come to him, and you encourage him to do what's right, and he does. And you meet him in that. And you make him all of these promises. He's only a few months into four years of obedience. And you are already making all of these promises to him. Thank you. Thank you. We are so glad to serve a God like that. You you did not order him to do this and then sit back and wait four years. And when he was finished, tell him, good job. I'm glad you got that done. You were right there with him. This back and forth that we find so hard, Lord, this understanding that it is you at work, like what Paul says. He talks about how hard he works, but he says, but it's not me, it's God's power in me. You know how hard that is for us to really take a hold of. Jesus, thank you that you are gracious. Help us. Help us to take a hold of this, that your spirit is at work and therefore we work. Your spirit is calling us to things, so we go and do them. Because you've called us to obedience, and we know that is good. Whether we succeed or not, we know that you will use our obedience. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for everyone who's listening to me, that you would bless them with courage to do what you've called them to do. Whether it seem trivial or it seem Insurmountable, whether it seems like the mountain that was in front is a that you said was just going to be leveled. And Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters, that you would grant us courage to obey where you are calling us to obey, not where you're calling anybody else, us, each of us. Lord be gracious us. You know how hard these things are for us. You know how fickle we are. You know how determined we can be today and then completely forget tomorrow. Remind us, Holy Spirit, be at work in us. Just like you sent these two prophets to preach to the people, to encourage them, to to keep going, to do the hard work of rebuilding the temple over the years that it took to do it. Lord, be gracious to us in the same way. Help us to obey. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, let's close as we always do because we always need to remember. That's what Jesus told us. Do this so you remember. We need to remember what Jesus has done for us. So there are stations in all four corners that have the bread and the cup. There's also one down here that has gluten free, if you'd like that. I'm going to pray for us again. And then, if you will, when I'm done praying, just get up, go to any of the stations, get the bread, get the cup. Bring it back. We will celebrate, we call this communion or the the Lord's Supper, that this little tiny meal that Jesus instituted, that he told us when we gather, do this to help us remember what he has done for us. Because this is one obedience that you will never be called to. You will never, if you are a follower of Christ, you will never be called to pay for your own sin. That has already been done. God will never command you, if you know Jesus, to pay for your own sin, to pay for your own mistakes, your own failures. All the time you knew you were supposed to do something, but you didn't, or you knew you're not supposed to do something, but you did. You will never be called to ever deal with that because Jesus has done it for us we need to remember that so i'll pray go get the the cup and the bread bring it back to your seat i'll lead us we practice what is known as open communion which means you don't need to be a member of our church if you're a visitor you're welcome to take communion you just need to be a christian this is one of those things in the bible that this is only for christians because we're remembering what jesus has done for us and we're celebrating that if you don't consider yourself a follower of christ then if you'll just hang out at your seat nobody will think the less of you this is for people who have said to jesus yes you are my lord so pray with me again thank you lord god thank you that you have done this for us this is one obedience we will never be called to because jesus did this you called jesus to obedience to pay for our sin and he did and we remember we take the bread we take the cup we remember what you have done for us And Lord, we also remember that you did not stay dead. And so neither will we. Thank you. We are so, so grateful. We pray all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.